evening. So uh, welcome to the Alameda Health System Board of Trustees, uh, the January meeting. Well, happy New Year. Here we are in 2019. And um, we are going to start the meeting with our roll call. Trustee DeVries. I am here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Hernandez. Here. Trustee Avaladin. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Charlin. Here. Trustee Shequin. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. And Trustee Peterson. Here. Here Excellent. And we will jump right to our open session. I mean, yep, right to our, uh, oh, public comment, of course. Uh, so I actually have eight speakers. Uh, in this order, we have Lisa LaFay, uh, Melody Orfield, uh, Rachel Cook, <coughs> Francis Franco, Richard Wickerfort, Rose Klein, Karen Rothblatt, and Jean Hearn. In that order, if you can remember that. Good evening. Uh, my name is Lisa Lafave. I am Sanandra Hospital for the past 27 years. I'm currently working in the PAC field. I'm one of two uh, chief nurse reps for our union at our facility along with Carol Barazzi, and I'm chair of our PPC committee. Uh, I'm also a member of our contract bargaining team for the second time. And I do this job uh, with the purpose to protect our patients and our nurses so that they can give the very best care possible. Uh, with that in mind, uh, we started contract negotiations on November the 7th. Uh, our intent has always been and continues to be to obtain parity within the system, maintain our core staffing, which has taken a pretty heavy hit lately, and to protect our current contract uh, benefits as they stand. Our first two sessions passed um, without much happening. We, we did not receive any proposals from management, and we did put forth several of our own. However, on the third uh, bargaining uh, day, or our third meeting, we were shocked to receive over 80 takeaways. Um, we were flabbergasted at that. Management has reopened almost every single aspect of our contract. And I'd like to share a few examples, the most egregious of them, I believe. Um, what I want is to take away the job classification of the charge nurse. This is shocking. The charge nurse is a critical piece of our team. She's our air traffic controller. Uh, she anchors uh, the entire unit and serves as support. It's a critical, critical position. Management also wants to change our health care benefits at any time without meeting and conferring. They want to reduce our life insurance to that of non-union employees. They want to take away our seniority rights to overtime. They want to change, change our ability to earn and accrue our PTO, which is personal time off. They want to take away our weekend differential. They want to eliminate three-fifths positions. They want to take away incentives for nurses to pick up shifts. 
and this last one is my personal favorite. Um, they want to be able to, to close any department at any time without explanation. It, it, it's just beyond common sense. We find this very alarming. How, how can we do something like that to our community and the people that we serve? And I want to know if the board authorized these proposals. And I want to remind you that I believe last fall, perhaps last spring, the board signed a resolution in support of unions and workers' rights. These 80 takeaways got our contract, and to me it feels like union busting, pure and simple. Uh, these proposals not only hurt our nurses, but it undermines our ability to provide care and thus has a direct impact on the populations we serve. Thank you very much. Thank you. is Melody Orfield. I am a nurse in the ER department and have been with San Leandro for nine years. When I heard my fellow negotiators talking to us about the takeaways, I thought to myself, this all sounds too familiar. Where have I heard this before? Then I remembered seeing East Valley Memorial Hospital. Mr. Fonseca, you were there. You were there during that time. During the 2015 contract fight, the management of Salinas Valley Memorial Hospital came with, a sim with similar takeaways. They attempted to lay off nurses, eliminate charge nurse positions, and replace them with supervisors who don't do patient care, nor lend a helping hand which is where the big need is. It's hard for us to understand the purpose of their roles and the money spent for these positions when what we need for patients are more nurses. The shortage of nursing staff has increased their life without being seen, their loneliness, and dissatisfaction from not only patients, but from staffing as well. But my fellow nurses in Salinas Valley Memorial Hospital defeated these takeaways in, two, in 2015. Here in San Leandro and Alameda Hospital, we will defeat this too. And we are very determined. All we ask is to assure that our staffing is met in order to be able to safely take care of our patients safely and to maintain our current contracts and benefits. And to have parity within the system. Coming to the negotiation table with 80 takeaways will have us bargain for a very long time. And to take collective actions that will not benefit the, part, the parities. We don't want to do that. We want to bargain a contract that will benefit our fellow nurses and our patients. Let me remind you that this is a nurses' union state. 
and it has remained that way for many, many years. We have won that fight, and we will continue to do so. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Hello. My name is Rachel Cook, and I'm a charge nurse in the ER at San Leandro Hospital. Um, I'm a patient advocate, and I'm a valuable resource to the nurses that I work with. Um, I'm here today because I want to express my concern with the new position that was created in our ER. It's the clinical nurse supervisor position. Uh, we've been told that this is an evolving position. It's not clearly defined yet, and I'll say that's very evident working in the ER, but nobody knows exactly what their day-to-day -day responsibilities are. I think that they don't even know what their responsibilities clearly are yet. Um, it's evolving. Um, and let me first explain that this position was created at the same time our core staffing in the ER was reduced. We have a 13-bed ER that's now staffed in the morning with four nurses. Four, not even a full hand, four. That includes our triage nurse, our charge nurse, and only two nurses in patient care. Um, we were told this decision was based on improving patient wait times, the number of patients that were leaving without being seen, and improving our work-life balance for the nurse. In reality, this cut has increased patient wait times um, by closing eight potential beds between the hours of 3 a.m. and 11 a.m. Um, it also increases the number of patients who leave without being seen because they're waiting in the um, lobby for hours to come back to a bed. Um, and due to the bare-bones staffing that we now have, when one nurse calls in sick, we get sick too, and it's hard to believe, but we do, um, we're immediately in an unsafe emergency situation, and we're desperately begging nurses who weren't scheduled to call in. Um, I'm currently on day 11 of the, of the last 11 days working in a row because of short staffing and trying to fill in holes. Um, this does not lead to a great work-life balance. Now, these clinical nurse supervisors have come in with ideas of being almost like shift supervisors, and instead of, instead of that, though, they're providing direct patient care. They're trying to relieve nurses for breaks, um, but they can't pass medications. They can't get into a medication dispensing system. Um, they're performing charge nurse duties, even though they don't really understand their department that well yet, or um, aspects that are unique to San Leandro Hospital. Um, and it's just not the best situation for the patients. They have unrealistic ideas and processes they're trying to implement. Um, and then, let me clarify that these are unrealistic right now because currently at San Leandro Hospital, we are a paper charting system. Um, if you have a pen, you can write nurses' notes at San Leandro. Um, and we have lots and lots of outdated equipment. It's hard to provide 2019 medicine with like 1980 technology. Um, and so the processes that they're trying to implement are just not realistic in our current state. And I'm here saying all this because I think it's important that you as the Board of Trustees are aware of like, what's really going on on the ground floor of what's going on in these hospitals. Uh, at San Leandro hospitals, I can really speak for but um, just don't take everything that's being told at face value. I welcome you guys to come drop in unannounced to the emergency room someday. I would love to wrap you around and show you what's going on um, on a day when management doesn't know that you're going to be there and try and upstaff us for that day, which happens sometimes. So please, like, come. you're welcome to come stop in so we can show you around and see what it's really like and you know, show you some of the stuff that's going on. But I just want you guys to make sure that you guys are aware of what's really going on. Thanks for the offer.
evening. Uh, firstly, um, President DeBruce and to the trustees, uh, thank you for the time and the opportunity to address the board. My name is Francis Franco, and I um, am an ER social worker at San Leandro Hospital. I've worked for San Leandro Hospital for at least 10 years. I also work for Dignity Health in San Francisco as well as an adjunct uh, instructor for Ms. Berkeley. And I share this information because I just wanted to give you a, um, a background as to um, the interactions that I've had with the community personally. Um, as I was preparing for this, I started uh, to just kind of like reflect on what the mission and the vision statements are for Alameda Hospital. And I just specifically just want to, to just read the, the vision statement here, which is, Alameda Health System will be recognized as a world-class patient and family-centered system of care that promotes wellness, eliminates disparities, and optimizes the health of our diverse communities. As a truly caring community, my expectation is that we care for the members of that community. And in this particular instance, from patients to their families to their caregivers and the staff. Unfortunately, the day-to-day -day care and working conditions at San Leandro Hospital paint a very different picture. For example, I personally have experiences where I went to an urgent care right across the street from San Leandro Hospital and was told, if you need good care, go to Eden. When I attend a community event and there are Alameda Health System employees there who share with the public, Highland is a great trauma center, but don't get admitted. When we partner with community providers whose actions have resulted in the Alameda uh, um, Adult Protective Service and licensing reporting, and in some instances, criminal investigation, it gives you reason to, to take a pause there. When doctors are writing DNR orders on patients without their knowledge or their consent, something to think about. And when doctors discard prescribed controlled medications because a patient comes in with unintentional overdose, gives you reason to pause. As social workers, we are often asked to be the moral and social conscience. In environments that we find ourselves in, especially when there is inequity, we try our best to achieve a win-win outcome and keep being mindful of the resources of the hospital. There are no wins for the most vulnerable patients who come to San Leandro Hospital for care. As governing board, you have the opportunity and the ability to change this very worrisome trajectory that the system is headed. And contrary to what may have been misrepresented as malcontent rabble rousers complainers, we are a dedicated professional who stand committed to caring for the, the most vulnerable in our community. And when all else is said and done, I ask each and every one of the trustees and the board president, once you have moved on to your respective endeavors, would you be able to unequivocally state your pride in being a part of this system and in your reputation as a leader in this healthcare system? Thank you for your time. Thank you.
good evening, both boys of justice. My name is Jennifer Bizon, and I've been a nurse in MedSurs in Alameda Hospital for nine years. It takes a lot to get me up tonight because I don't like to speak. But some sad things have been happening at Alameda Hospital, and now at San Leandro Hospital also. And it's not only been bad for nurses, but bad for our Alameda health families, which is our patient. Beginning around last year, we saw new position being filled, which is clinical nurse supervisor. While having some supervisor may not seem like bad thing. The clinical nurse supervisor role has been negatively impacting the staffing and the care that nurses give to the patient. The manner in which the role of playing is out is causing patients to suffer and threatens the quality of the care that we give to our patients. Last year, October, our census went down and Alameda decided to cancel nurses. Replacing these nurses were the clinical nurse supervisor which is giving them break. The hospital chose to start an unsafe skeleton of two nurses in my unit and allow the supervisor to give breaks. If you're a nurse and going to a break and you have five patients, what will happen to the five patients? So the patient that is your son and is in pain is hearing your nurse on break and we will be back. Your 85 years old grandmother needs an IV, but the CNS has not given an insertion for how many years already. Let's see how it goes. So when a nurse comes back, she has to do it. Your young daughter is having shortness of breath while the nurse is on break. The supervisor cannot assess because that's not his job to assess in how many years ago. These concerns are real. When you are serving as a manager and in the manager role, you have not been at the bedside like the nurses have. If you are supposed to be the manager and the job to manage budgets, and daily needs on the units on that shift, and how can you be a nurse? It's not only safety issue about insufficient experience and practice. If you're a manager attending meetings, sending emails to coordinate work, you cannot be focused on the patient. That's our duty and job as nurses. And if we cannot have skillful practice nurses focus on the patient, then the patient will suffer and be harmed. I am shocked that hospital would be patient at risk like this. It is the thing that nurses to feel their jobs are at stake and they're being replaced by managers. But even more shameful that Alameda Hospital has gone in this sad direction and safe stopping to take care of our patient. We are asking you as your board of practice and you are in your role as the champion decision makers of the patient to stop clinical nursing supervisors from doing our nursing duties and putting patients at risk. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, my name is Karen Lopat, and I have worked at Alameda Hospital for 30 years as of next month. Um, I've been on the negotiating team five times, and I'd like to report to the board and to the rest of you that um, yesterday's bargaining session was probably the most grotesque display on the part of management that I have experienced yet. 
Um, we were handed a packet this thick of favorite takeaways from almost every page of our contract. This very anti-union approach to bargaining is obviously intended to erode standards and will definitely have a negative effect on patient care. Among many, many other things, we were told that um, we didn't need language in our contract that supports nurses to be part of what we call our professional performance committee. Um, that is the venue that nurses have to bring workplace and patient safety issues to management without any fear of retribution. And we were told that we should accept that management would like to be able to change our health benefits whenever they feel like it would be fiscally prudent, just like the non-represented employees do. This is absolutely not in line with the resolution that the board signed a few months ago where we affirmed your commitment to abide by our existing MOU and we recognize that the importance of the advocacy role of a registered nurse. We asked Athena, who is your lead partner on the team, if she was, if the board was aware of all of these takeaways and this approach to bargaining. Her answer was, we are one entity and we speak with one voice. Well, we hope that we don't have to remind you that the Board of Trustees were not appointed by the Alameda County Board of Supervisors to simply rubber stamp anything that comes past your desk from Mr. Finley and Mr. Fonseca. Their commitment is to uphold the mission of this organization and to serve this community and to protect its patients. You don't need to just listen to the, the financial concerns that are presented to you by administration. You need to listen to the nurses because we are the eyes, the ears, and the voices of the patients here. We hope you will take care not to waste the limited resources of this institution by creating a public fight against the very people who provide the hands-on care every day to our patients. Thank you. Good evening, Board of Trustees. My name is Rose Klein. I've been at Alameda Hospital for over 38 years, working the night shift in the critical care unit, and also a longtime resident of Alameda. I'm also a member of our bargaining team. Over the years that I've worked at Alameda Hospital, I've seen managers, administrators, board members come and go, and while there have always been differences, we have always worked through issues, and there's always been a good sense of community. That place, that place of being able to work together and having a good community was completely slashed on our third session of bargaining yesterday with Alameda Health System. I just want to show you this. This is our contract, and this is what they gave us yesterday, okay, all at one time, and we had given proposals to two prior sessions. Alameda Hospital essentially took our, contra our current contract union and gutted it, striking it through what seemed like every article in our MOU. Our union is so offended by this union busting that we come to you tonight to ask why. We have in our contract things that are important and dear to us because it gives us the right to have a voice. Not only a voice for our practice, but for our patients 
To give an example of the offensive takeaways that the Hospital proposes, it is thrashing a professional performance committee by shrinking the number of reps and hours we have to work on improving our patient care and practice. The proposal even strikes our ability to give objective considerations to improve safety and health of the hospital. Cutting, in, cutting our nurses in service, education, and cross-training. And discontinuing regular part-time three-fifths and four-fifths. We have nurses here that have brought their families, young families, and they're raising them. And some of these parents are just doing it themselves. So to work full-time is absolutely um, not fair. As union nurses, we thankfully have fought for, for and won these things in our contract and have been put into place to be voiced for our patients. We also, like the board, adopted a resolution last year where we recognize the value of registered nurses and their contribution to the community by providing safe and therapeutic patient care for patients and families. With the resolution, you recognize that public sector RMs at AHS play a vital role with the union to ensure that public good is served by advocating for patients. You have agreed to uphold the commitment that Alameda administrators, the reps, the managers, hired by the system will uphold this commitment by reframing from any practice, practices that will interfere with the operation of the union and the fulfillment of the duties to an advocate for patients. We are asking you to tell your administrators, your managers, and reps to bargain in good faith and to stop stripping us of our voice as nurses for patients. Thank you. Support that we can provide our folks. 
it is clear that wellness services and a, uh, a, a provider wellness program improves quality, decreases uh, medication errors, um, increases uh, a lot of other uh, metrics that I think this group uh, is, is sort of empowered to, to, to be aware of, and I think that's an important aspect, and I, I thank the, the work of, uh, of the administration and the board in supporting our wellness efforts. Um, and just today we actually had a, there was a meeting between the, the director of provider wellness and members of the quality department to talk about recreating the care, the caregiver program. This is part of Beta Health, who is our insurer. Um, it's one of the, one of the, one of the five sub-programs, and the idea is to support providers who are involved in difficult cases because they too suffer challenging consequences um, if things go south, if there are unexpected outcomes, and the idea is to intervene at the caregiver level to actually support them to get them back um, to a state where they can continue to see patients and sometimes there's not a lot of time in between these challenging cases, um, and I think it's really important. And so we're really excited to sort of just to, to restart this care the caregiver program uh, with beta it actually um, it will allow, I believe, um, in some cases, uh, if we fulfill certain metrics, it will allow us to actually have a, a slight rebate on our insurance premiums, uh, which is not as important um, as the, the process itself, but it is an excellent byproduct. Thank you very much, and I'm now done. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. <coughs> All righty. So um, that brings us back to our uh, regular session. Uh, yeah, I want to acknowledge there's some new faces at the table, um, which is exciting. Now, uh, not new to many of you, but new to this meeting. Uh, so I also want to acknowledge that all three of you probably just gave a report at QPSC. So I will invite you to introduce yourself and give us the highlights of your report for those of us that aren't on QPSC. Um, and um, uh, Dr. Bullard, do you want to start? My name is Kelly Bullard, I'm a trauma critical care doctor. And um, basically we, we talked about credentialing, we also talked about the red surge process, which is our NEDOC's um, scoring system for when the ER gets congested. I think the, the main takeaway is we're starting to look at the entire hospital system in terms of its effect on overcrowding in the emergency department. We're looking at inflow and outflow of the system and we're really starting to get a little bit of traction in trying to improve our processes all across the board so that we don't just look at a symptom, we look at the disease itself. Um, we also talked about the um, EPIC uh, and the SAFIRE uh, initiation process over this year and how excited we all are and how much work there is to be done. Both uh, Dr. Engine and I have talked about uh, merger between uh, the San Leandro and the uh, core hospital uh, staff in the next 12 months and how we're gratefully moving forward with, with negotiations for bylaws revisions. Um, that was pretty much the highlights. All right. Thanks. Any trustees have any questions? All right. I'm going to try this. Dr. Jendu? In Genio. In Genio, I was close. Very good, actually. <laughs> Dr. Mike Ingenio, I am a vascular surgeon um, on staff, but both San Leandro primarily in Alameda as well. Um, the uh, highlights were discussed, um, or the, the report was discussed, but the highlights are, um, again, um, as Dr. Ballard mentioned, we're working to merge the medical staffs and come up with a consensus for a, a 
the uh, bylaws that work for both facilities. Um, we've had discussions with an attorney, um, Steve Schneer, who's very um, uh, adept and experienced with mergers of these kinds. He's done four or five of them in the Bay Area and is not an adversarial person who wants to get this process done. We've given him the charge to try to get this done um, appropriately and with a good uh, consensus from both staff. So I think that's moving along well. Um, there will be a change. This is another issue that I thought was uh, very concerning, but I think will not be a problem. It sounds like it's worked out um, reasonably well, but there will be a change in the anesthesia group at San Leandro Hospital. That the existing group, there are no issues with them. They just do not have the capacity. They've had a very difficult time recruiting physicians, and they're losing a physician, so they don't have the staffing to cover that. They will, in a transitional way, in the next four to five months, be able to still cover that, and there's going to be an overlap of services with the anesthesia department from Highland here to cover that service. And I've discussed that with Dr. Newmark, who's the chief of anesthesia here, and he seems so very capable of providing that service, so that was encouraging. Um, Briefly, also, there was, uh, there was a motion that approved the ability of uh, Highland residents to help the general surgeons who were on staff at San Leandro with some of their cases and give them some exposure to uh, a different facility and a different practice <laughs> model. And that's the highlight of our report. Thank you. Trustees, any questions? Oh, I'm glad to hear the... Um, your input from the San Leandro side regarding the bylaws and the, and the merge. Um, I'm glad to hear it's moving along relatively well. Yes. Okay, good. There, there are certain issues, and we've sort of divided them up into um, a few different issues, the, the credentialing part and the governance part, um, and I think that uh, we should be able to resolve those without too much trouble. Hopefully the credentialing, our goal, both Kelly and I have discussed, um, is to not have to re-credential all the positions, mm -hmm. to en masse be able to present something to the board that they can vote on and move all the positions over, because that would be a nightmare for the, the medical staff office to have to re And for us. <laughs> 280 <laughs> positions, exactly. Yeah. And I think that can be done without too much trouble, um, quite frankly. It was done in 2012 when AHS was over the Hospital from the Sutter system, so I don't see a reason why it can't be done. <laughs> So, assuming the attorneys can do that in a way that's acceptable for all the bylaws, I think it should be done. That's our goal. Great. And if things aren't going well, I expect you'll tell us too. I will. Good. Absolutely. Thank I you. am not shy enough in my mind. Dr. Maladin will attempt to that. Excellent. <laughs> Dr. Marzouk? Uh, yes, uh, thank you. Uh, essentially, uh, briefly, uh, uh, we presented. Uh, Tell us what you do without me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I'm an uh, infectious specialist uh, at uh, Armida and I've uh, practiced in East Bay since uh, 1982. And, uh, Welcome. Thank you. Uh, uh, essentially, we've uh, credentialed and approved uh, privileges for, uh, or submitted for approval by the board or uh, individuals on the medical staff, uh, issues uh, that uh, are being addressed uh, are currently uh, coverage uh, for hospitals with the increased census uh, due to the transfers uh, from Highland uh, to 
uh, to Alameda Hospital, uh, particularly in the evening and uh, and when they're and at night, uh, because of our increased census, as as alluded to uh, by Dr. Bullard. Also, coverage for gastroenterology and cardiology coverage, specialty coverage. Uh, is being uh, worked on with uh, FJ uh, for uh, coverage when the individuals that cover that are in, the, in gastroenterology uh, are uh, either not available and uh, it's desired that we have uh, physical coverage at, uh, on weekends in cardiology and uh, that's being addressed say that it's been indicated that there's some interest in retaining the current administration. Um, I, we can't campaign hard. Yeah, so I, I will open nominations. Um, uh, I guess I should do all, I actually do one at a time, right? So, I'll do all three. So I'll, I'll open it for, for I, I would move that we are there others that uh, people would wish to nominate? Um, oh, first, the second on the nomination. Oh, yes, I, I, I kind of thought I had. <laughs> <laughs> all right, hearing no other nominations, um, all in favor of this slate? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Abstentions? All right, well, there you have it. Thank you, thank you for that. It was, uh, it was a fast year, and it was certainly an eventful year. Um, I, I, I hope things will be a little bit mellower, but I have a feeling that my life is to be at the center of the storm, and so I, I, I expect that it's going to be just as crazy this year. That's um, the expectation. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we need to stay the that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I also say uh, uh, we also have to appoint uh, trustee to, uh, to uh, replacement to the retirement plans investment committee, and I want to say, Trustee Jensen, thank you for your work. I think it's been at least two years you've been on that committee, maybe more. Yeah, like three or four. It's just time flies. Um, yeah, please, do you want to tell people about this a little bit? We, we do have to open this up for a nomination. Sure. We do have to, yeah. It's a meeting that happens once a quarter, so it's not that often. It's, I'll tell you the, the details of the, um, 
the, at the time of place, it takes place in this room once a quarter on, on the first Wednesday, Thursday. Third Thursday. Yeah, this year. Um, of, the, of each quarter, which would be starting, it's March is the next one, is that right? Okay, so then it's February, April, uh, So, and it's at 10 a.m. on that day. So that's really sort of as a challenge for someone or not. But it's a it's relatively um, less, used, almost never two hours, usually less than um, or at an hour or 90 minutes at the most. And it's fascinating. If anyone's interested in our um, very robust retirement plan for employees, it's it's going very well, and there's a, a number, there's a participation by um, an employee representative as well as the staff and human, <coughs> human resources staff and um, finance staff. So there's a lot that gets done in these meetings, and um, I would recommend and suggest that anyone who um, is interested to participate. And with that, I'll nominate Trustee Peterson. Do you, do you accept that nomination, I Trustee know. Peterson? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, is there anyone else that wishes to serve? No? Nope. All right, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, there you go. Congratulations. The last thing is, uh, it, uh, is our committee membership and chairs. Um, we're pretty much going to keep it the same. I want to thank uh, Trustee Banerjee for her work on the audit committee. Um, she chose to, um, to, to sit on that committee at a time when others didn't want to do it. You learned a lot. Um, actually made a pretty major change in, in audit reporting that I think makes the whole system healthier and more accountable. And so I appreciate that. And I know that you do not wish to remain as chair, and I believe, uh, Trustee Peterson, you are willing to take on that role. With her, with her help. With her guidance, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so welcome to that chairmanship. And uh, otherwise, our other chairs, uh, 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 Trustee Shikwin, you'll be handling finance, and Trustee Jensen, you'll be handling HR. And, Trustee Bouquet, of course, will be doing QPSC. And uh, as far as membership, unless anyone has a problem, everything else is remaining the same. And I'm not going to list all the members out. And, um, that is my report. So um, thank you, folks. Let's get on to our next item with our CEO report, who's magically not in the room. So we're going to hear from our COO, I believe. You, you, you get the second second best thing, right? <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Well, thank you for the opportunity. I, uh, again, Del Vecchio is, is uh, out uh, on another commitment uh, with one of his uh, national boards, and, and uh, so he was not able to join us today, but I will provide you with some updates. Uh, um, for the last time, I think, and, and you know, uh, for this year, I will say happy 2019. Uh, to the trustees and, and I think congratulations to those officers that were selected uh, and remained on duty. So it was obviously a great experience for the first year. So uh, thank you for doing that. And it's for, a sense of duty. <laughs> well, we thank you. We thank you for uh, the support and how you continue to assist us in advancing all of our goals and strategies. So I've got. Uh, I first want to start off with uh, a, piece, a piece of great news, uh, as we all recall. 
Ms. Mendoza Sanchez, Maria, Maria Mendoza. I, um, I had the opportunity to meet with her uh, when she came back, uh, and uh, I actually had the privilege of taking the picture. So I'm like, I, I wanted it to be a selfie so the three of us could be in here, but we just decided let's just go into Del Vecchio. But uh, uh, Maria, uh, again, very, very humbled, very excited to be back. We are very happy to have her back here at home, not only with her family, uh, but also with her AHS family. And, and uh, that was a, a long struggle. Uh, it, it, it seems when I was reflecting back, sitting down talking to her uh, and learning about her experiences and what she did while she was back in her home of origin uh, in New Mexico in a very small little small town uh, where she was communicating that, uh, sharing a very quick story that she, uh, you know, working for the hospitals there and looking at, uh, you know, how they deliver care and some of the challenges and obstacles that they face uh, really puts a different perspective uh, to what we do here every single day uh, where, you know, they're, you know, here in California we have patient ratios where, you know, in med-surge you have a nurse to five patients. Uh, where she was at, there was a nurse to 30 patients. Wow. Uh, so again, how that has an impact on quality of care, but uh, just the work and the demands that are placed on them. So, and, and, and equally, she said that uh, although she was originally from that town, she had family members in that town. It's a very small town. And, uh, you know, just some of the things that were impacting, uh, you know, drugs and, and, and uh, you know, just other activities that were happening. It was just a very, very uncomfortable and challenging time for her. So, so again, we really want to thank, uh, you know, the offices of Senator, Senator Feinstein and, and, and Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who were very instrumental in the whole process, and equally from our team, uh, our PACE team, our human resources team, who were very involved and supportive through the entire process. So, again, very, very happy to have her back. Thank you. Great news. Um, I will provide you uh, with several updates here. I, I've got them listed. I will review our dashboard uh, in, in, in brief detail. I know that it was reviewed at the Quality, quality uh, Committee, but uh, I'll share with you some of the updates there. We're looking at also how we're progressing with our primary care capitation, uh, FY20 operational plan and budget process, which has begun uh, as part of our cycle. I want to give you a few updates on several initiatives that we have going on as far as our Park Bridge roof. Uh, the capital planning process that you may recall is part of the joint meeting where we were talking about that uh, uh, discussion with GSA. Uh, an update on the Alameda Hospital kitchen relocation, the seismic planning committee that's in place, and then a change that we're making on our, our board effects. So we wanted to make sure that you guys got really used to it and comfortable, and then we wanted to go ahead and change it. But I'll give you an update on that, and certainly we'll love to, to run and help you with that. Guess. And then we'll wrap things up with a Sapphire performance update. So now, before I continue with the presentation, uh, our PACE team did a wonderful job uh, in, in putting a, a short video together that highlights uh, some of the great work that occurred in 2018 as we are now beginning uh, the calendar year 2019, but excited to continue to see some of the great momentum and great progress that we saw there this past year. So. With the 2018 year now behind us, everyone in the automated health system should take a brief moment to pause and enjoy some well-deserved satisfaction for all of the hard work that we achieved. Collectively, we need significant strides to improve the quality of care for our patients and our community. Right now, I am sitting in our state-of-the-art simulation center that was opened just last year with the help of our foundation. Here are some other major milestones that we accomplished in the past 12 months. 
we all know, every single one of us who works here at AHS is here to provide the best patient care possible. And unfortunately, we haven't always had the tools or resources to do that or know how we're measuring on various quality-related metrics. So Prime has given us that platform, and I'm so proud of every single person who's worked to achieve the success that we have in Prime for the last year. We hit over 90% of our metrics, recouped 100% of the funding that was attached to Prime for this year, and most importantly, improved performance on a number of different metrics from diabetes to high blood pressure to depression screening to substance abuse screening and treatment across all of ambulatory. But I think patient stories speak the loudest, so I wanted to share one patient story from my own clinic. Uh, my medical assistant and our eligibility staff who screen our patients for depression at every single visit completed a screener on one of my patients that I haven't seen for years and years. Uh, this elderly woman also has diabetes, which is what I usually focus on, and it was only that positive screen that asked when you ask her, you know, how are you feeling today and how are you coping with your illness? And she burst into tears and we were able to get her a warm handout for their behavioral health staff. We were able to get her started on treatment and I'm really proud to say her depression is really well controlled right now, but it's something that I certainly missed and we probably wouldn't have picked up without that team effort and the prime goals that we were striving to meet. Back in January of 2018, the Alameda Health System Board approved what we now call Project Sapphire, which is a revitalization and transformation of our EMR. And $200 million is the largest project uh, that we've undertaken as an organization. The Sapphire Project is going to transform and touch every part of our organization, and it's already started doing that. We have over 120 certifications from the Sapphire team already completed. We've had over 1,000 people uh, involved in the adoption setting uh, phase of the project. We're 100% staffed on the project, which is a huge undertaking, and I'm very pleased that we just completed our build phase of the project on time and on budget. Internally, it's going to make us much more efficient with the work we do, helping guarantee our sustainability in the future. With our patients, the new medical record is going to allow us to see complete and comprehensive medical history on our patients and be able to predict better um, courses of care. It's also going to allow our patients to become an integral part of their own medical record and their own medical care, which is an important trend uh, in, our, uh, in our society and in our industry. 2018 was a year of change. I could not be prouder to be part of an organization that continues to demonstrate a commitment to excellence in clinical quality and patient care for the communities that we serve. Through those changes in workflows and policies and processes, we continue to see improvements in quality, in care delivery, and access. Another critical change for the organization was our effort around clinical standardization for excellence, or better known as CS4E. Under clinical standardization for excellence, we looked at all of our policies across all of our sites, looking at standardizing the care delivery. It should be no different when you're providing care or receiving care at one of our hospitals versus another. And this program and this process allowed us to do that. 2018 was a banner year for population health. We have been focused on three principal activities within the department. Uh, improving care to our patients, making sure that we improve the outcomes, and using our funding efficiently to achieve both of those things. In 2018, we focused specifically on moving towards an alternative payment model 
for primary care services. I am pleased to say that it was a collaboration throughout the department, particularly within our ambulatory care staff, our finance staff, our information technology staff, our business intelligence staff. And we successfully transitioned three of our wellness centers into capitation in 2018. Our final wellness center will be going live in capitation this spring. And when that occurs, 48,000 patients with Alameda Alliance will be capitated and will have us as their providers. I think this speaks highly to the great work that our staff did in 2018, and I'm appreciative of all the efforts. So thank you. When I look back at everything we accomplished together in 2018, it is incredible to think of how well we have positioned EHS to deliver care for the future. All of this progress reflects the commitment of everyone here at the Alameda Health System, and I look forward to seeing the accomplishments we made in 2019. So we shared this yesterday with our entire management team uh, and as part of our retreat, and uh, again, it was, it was uh, I think, well received by most of the staff. I will tell you that I am super glad this, health, this healthcare thing worked for me. The same in front of the camera. That was tough. That was tough. I was like, oh my God. And now I listen to Mark, who has that narrator voice and all that. This is like great. In any case, I hope you guys appreciate it. Say something, Mark. Yes. Yeah. In front of the camera is very, very nerve-wracking. And at that point, Rebecca wasn't looking at the camera? There's tactics for that, I'm telling you. That was tough. But again, I hope you enjoyed that. I think it was well received by our Thank you very much. <laughs> so moving on, uh, we will just uh, quickly go transition through our, our, our uh, updates here, the performance dashboard. Um, you have this in your packet. You guys received this uh, ahead of time to uh, review the narrative. Um, our QPSC goes into detail looking at uh, various of these areas, and, and Dr. Hussein provided uh, uh, great detail. But uh, I, I would like to highlight, and I want to focus on uh, this access measure here, which is the median time uh, from uh, admission to placement in the data center, and we're looking at that, and you will see that's, that that's what we have seen with the greatest delta and the greatest increase uh, from baseline. And so, again, this really speaks to the, the, the work that, that Dr. Bullard mentioned regarding redox and surge, and we know that this has been an ongoing uh, area of focus for us, and uh, you know, those efforts uh, of our steering committee uh, uh, still continue. We are. Uh, initiating and have been moving forward with various pilots that uh, we have seen to have proven to be very effective. And uh, we're going to continue to stay the course. Though. The goal here is to establish standard work across all of our areas, not only from you know managing patients in the emergency department, but also focusing on all the patients that are already in the facility, uh, inclusive of procedural areas that are also impacted by our ability to uh, effectively disposition patients to the appropriate level of care. And so we're working, continuing to work through that. Uh, this week we have seen some, some improvements. I know that some of these pilots are, are still underway, but it's encouraging to see some of the progress that we're making. So again, we'll continue to watch that very closely. The other thing I'll highlight is that, you know, this is through uh, the, the dashboard here reporting through December, although some of the measures are, uh, you know, dated back because of the reporting cycles of how we receive data and receive information. 
But it, uh, I am pleased to see that uh, halfway through the year, half of the measures, if you count them, are, are already meeting or exceeding our target, which is great. Uh, and in uh, discussions with Dr. Hussein uh, in his report to our executive leadership team, uh, he feels very confident, very uh, that we will continue to make improvements, and uh, and we all feel that we're going to uh, achieve uh, most of these metrics, if not all of them. So, as far as system updates, uh, you've heard in the video, but I will just highlight here that we continue on our transition uh, to primary care capitation in all of our wellness centers. Uh, as Tim very nicely put in the video, that three of them have been completed. Uh, the most recent was Hayward in December of 2018. Uh, so as you can see, and I know that at the Finance Committee uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a question about you know, what percentage of our patients are capitated. Well, as uh, Tangerine mentioned, we have a total of 48,000 lives that we're accountable for with the Alameda Alliance. Uh, and we're only working at this point with the uh, partner with the Alameda Alliance. And here we've broken it down for you, uh, where you can see how many lives are assigned to each wellness center. So at this point, we've completed Newark, East Mountain, Hayward, which accounts for about 34,000 of those lives. Uh, we've got Highland coming up in March, uh, by March 1st. And again, those efforts continue. Uh, we're on target. Uh, we continue to work very closely with the Alliance. And Tangerine and her team are doing a phenomenal job to continue with those efforts. Uh, and then, as you can see, they're moving on. Uh, all wellness centers, as we look at transitioning, we're also working closely with our other managed care provider, which is Anthem, for those remaining lives. Um, which, if I recall correctly, uh, Tangerine is about 12,000 uh, lives with Anthem. Uh, as we transition uh, or continue with our uh, strategic and financial planning reporting cycle, this is not new to many of you. Uh, this is the, the cycle that we work with. Uh, to give you a sense of how we're uh, moving about the process. Uh, we are currently in quarter three, January through March. Uh, we have begun, or we've kicked off our FY20 operational planning process. As usual, we started with uh, a retreat uh, of the executive leadership team that occurred back in December. Uh, then we followed that up with a management retreat that occurred yesterday. Uh, where we're sharing and vetting this information with our management team. Uh, we will be presenting the full schedule of activities to the Finance Committee here in February. And one thing that I'd like to include is that one of the slight changes that we'll be making this year as we continue to evolve and learn from our experiences in previous years of presenting the information to the board, uh, we will be looking at presenting our, our rationale and, and some, of the, some of the assumptions that are being made as it relates to volumes. So volume really starts everything. As we look at what we what we forecast and anticipate will be the volumes in all of our different areas, that then drives the calculation for revenues, which then drives how we manage our expenses to operate within those 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 parameters. So that will be we'll be sharing some of those assumptions with you all earlier in the process, so that we can obtain feedback and any any suggestions as we're continuing to move about the process. Uh, Park Bridge, uh, I wanted to, to share this because it, it is an area of, of significant concern for, for me and, and others. Uh, Park Bridge is a facility that uh, we currently lease at Alameda, uh, on Alameda Island. This is a, an existing lease, uh, a legacy lease that came with uh, the uh, you know, joint powers agreement or the affiliation with Alameda Hospital. Uh, I, I will say that the lease terms uh, that, uh, that currently exist within that uh, agreement are, 
less than favorable. Uh, they're not customary to what we are, you know, what we see in, in traditional leases, meaning that any and all repairs and, and uh, updates that need to occur in the facility are the responsibility of the tenant. And so that's that's really different from what you see in, in, in most leases. The building owner usually is responsible for the building envelope for roofs, walls, infrastructure, plumbing, things of that nature. Not here. We have a responsibility for everything. Well, here we are in a very old building that is going to require a brand new roof. And recent estimates of that roof is nearly $1.5 million on a building that we don't own. And so it's, it's very challenging for us. Uh, we've been over the last several years making repairs, um, uh, and we've been affecting various repairs. Uh, and I'm sharing with you a visual here because, obviously, this is something that we, we take a, a great deal of pride in making sure that we have the best environment for all of our patients and the people we care for. And this is something that, uh, that we just don't stand by and we want to make sure we address it. But equally, it is one of those unforeseen conditions that we did not plan for, we did not budget for, and we may have the need to come back to this board to say, you know what, we may need some additional dollars to go ahead and fund this effort because we did not capture them in our long-range planning, capital planning plan. This is what I'm sharing here, so I'm, sure I'm, I'm, I'm sharing in the top corner there is just the layout of the building, just showing you that's the, the you know, where we have the red squares where we have the problem area currently, which is affecting our kitchen, our rehab area, and a patient room. So those are the areas that... I'm sorry? Now the entry of the building is, is, is the little blue square. I'm, I'm pointing at that. Right, and that's um, Clement on the right-hand side, right? Yes. And, okay. Yes. So the blue little square rectangle, that's the main entrance. Right. And off to the side, there's our service entrances and where we have everything. So again, the areas that are impacted, uh, just right. sharing with you there, the kitchen, rehab area, one of the patient rooms. Again, that impacts obviously our ability to, you know, uh, accommodate patients. Uh, so anyways, I, the reason I bring it uh, to you all is to, to just make you aware of this is something that we were not planning, that was unexpected, that we're working with. I am working closely with my team to evaluate all of our other capital commitments that we've made to see how we could look at tightening up some of our budgets to free up some of the dollars to address this. We will be moving forward with an, uh, with an interim, yet another repair, uh, temporary repair, but we will need to move forward with a full replacement here in the very near future. And if we are unable to identify those dollars, we may be coming back to this board and to find this committee to request additional dollars that we do not budget for. So, please, go ahead. what's that We have this lease until 2032. And is there any opportunity for us to negotiate a purchase of the building and what we consider? We have not considered that. Uh, again, this was uh, a, a lease, and it's you know part of the uh, Park Bridge is part of Alameda Hospital, so it's kind of you know it's under the purview of the Alameda under the license and under the city of Alameda Healthcare District, and so there, you know they manage that. Uh, we manage it obviously under the APA, but uh, it's not something that we would take on as an asset. Uh, I'm not sure if they would be open to selling the owners. The owner is Alameda Hospital, correct? Yeah. The district? No. Oh, no, they're not.
owners of the building. They leased yeah. the building. Yeah. Oh, it was the owners. Alameda Health Right. So can I make a recommendation that yeah, this actually so come to finance? I think so. Or forward forward yeah. um, with options. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I just yeah. wanted to share yeah. 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 this is a major issue. Yeah. I just like to see what you're all about. I know we're transitioning into your update on your meetings with GSA about capital costs, and I don't even know if we can spend that money on this because we rent it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to not only to release it, but it's also, uh, it's, it's, we, can, we can argue that it's, you know, uh, the capital reimbursement fund uh, is intended to support uh, county-owned facilities. Right. And so that's not one of those. Right. So, so moving here, so, so moving on, so I will certainly take care about it in February. I'm sorry? We'll hear about it in February. Yes, sir. That's fine. And we will, we will bring more detail at that time to share with one. Just in terms of options, I don't know if, the, if there were ones that we definitely wanted, but the purchase was one already mentioned. I guess the other would be, does it, would it make sense to extend, the, to have a longer term lease since we're making that? Kind of investment um, might be another option. If that could be brought back, we will we will come back with various. Uh, we will we'll come back with some options. I I, I will say that uh, the building is an extremely old building. Uh, even if we have the opportunity to buy it, I'm not sure if it would be in our best interest to buy that building. Uh, we should consider. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, again, I'm just you know again the location is wonderful. The building is not so great, so. Um, we'd have to look at all that then, and we'll come back with some options in February. I have some spare uh, Home Depot buckets at home. If you <laughs> 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 no, you want to make sure you face it. We're addressing that for our patients. It's a triple, basically a triple net lease with no provisions at all for capital expenditure. Mm -hmm. no, no credits? If, uh, mm -hmm. So, as I move on here with, uh, again, the capital planning process, as, as uh, uh, you all mentioned, you may recall, this was something that was discussed at the combined supervisors meeting. Um, I, I had a meeting uh, myself in Baljeet. Uh, Sangha had a meeting with uh, the GSA director, Willie Hopkins, uh, where we had some discussion, preliminary discussion around what the process would look like. We are currently working on finalizing that process. We've been email exchanging, making sure that we are in agreement and alignment, and how we can tie this to our planning cycle and our operational cycle to ensure that any requests that need to be presented to this board or to the county board of supervisors, that we are all in alignment to make sure that we can continue to move with the process effectively. Also, uh, the, I wanted to just give you another update of the reuse plan for Fairmont Building. So uh, we, um, you know, we're getting closer as, as we're moving forward and we're making great progress on our rehab relocation from Fairmont to San Leandro. That project continues to uh, you know, uh, go very well as far as on budget and on schedule. Uh, so now there's been some discussions around what are we going to do with Fairmont Hospital? And so I know that the county, uh, we have been engaged with uh, Mark Trotz uh, as well as the county. And I know that there's been some conversations and I know Tangerine has been very involved. But I do know that recently the county uh, walked the space with, uh, toured the space uh, with the healthcare services agency director and, and uh, Mark Trotz and others and so, and Richard uh, who was there. and so. There's, there's discussions around what will be the future use of that building. So I just want to give you an update and, uh, and, and um, uh, you know, just inform you that 
you know, there's, there's various options. I mean, obviously options for the county and what they what they plan to use the space for. I mean, and there's been many other discussions around risk of care or, you know, other types of uses, uh, homeless housing, things of that nature. Uh, but equally, I would throw in there that we, you know, we have a, a need to update uh, our current skilled nursing facility at Fairmont, which is in Building B. Uh, and so, you know, this would be a wonderful flex space that we could move. For example, we have four units in building B, B1, 2, 3, and 4. We can essentially phase in a project where we move building, you know, B1 over to this area, renovate, move them back, and then use, you know, continue to sequence that in, in, in um, units 2, 3, and 4. So, again, it would be a wonderful flex space to allow us the opportunity to update that, leveraging some of these capital reimbursement costs. And it, it meets the seismic standards for SNF versus yes, rehab. Yes, sir. Right. It means all, uh, yeah, it, there, there are no seismic uh, compliance issues relative to maintaining a skilled nursing facility in, the, in, in that building. Would, would there be any possibility of expanding the number of licenses? Trustee Peterson, if we get the microphone closer to you, okay. would there be an opportunity to expand the number of licensed beds? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there, there may be a possibility of that's the decision for us to, you know, after we, if we, let's say, for example, we decide to use that as a, as a flex space to update building B, we can then update that space and leverage it for additional bands or anything else. Uh, so, so I just want to mention that, you know, I recognize that the county owns the buildings, the county has expressed interest in walking and touring the sites. I just want to put a, a bug in your ear that, you know, we also have some needs that we want to make sure that we work collaboratively with the county to, to ensure that we're planning accordingly. Yeah, well, actually, um, I think, Trustee Peterson, we know that's a huge growing need. I mean, I remember when I toured the facility at Alameda, it's like, it, yeah, it's, right. it's huge. We're so, operating their capacity, right, all the time. Yeah, and, and yes. Yeah. 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 In our school nursing, yeah. we're we're routinely at 98, 99 yeah. percent. And then lastly, I also wanted to remind, uh, if you recall in that discussion that we had uh, with the in the combined meeting, uh, I believe those supervisor already mentioned uh, the, the additional space that uh, they have uh, available in the zone way building. And I would love for us to, and I would look for your support, solicit your support to continue that dialogue, recognizing that you know, we do uh, know that there's opportunities, and I know that there's a tremendous amount of interest in Fairmont and the campus as a whole. Uh, I know that there was a visit uh, by Supervisor Marley on, you know, on the homeless encampment and you know, all the areas. And so how do you want to repurpose some of those buildings? That's wonderful. It's a great site. It would be also wonderful for us to be able to leverage some of this additional space to house some of our administrative functions that we currently have in those older buildings. So we, I, I'd love to solicit your support to continue that dialogue and we can continue with that forward. Remind me how much square footage um, we're using up there for administrative purposes. I don't have that exact number. Uh, this isn't that. We're using thousands of thousands. I mean, it's it, uh, I'm sure the size of this building. Is uh, well, this is a relatively large building, uh, and and they're only occupying a, a portion of it, uh, and the other portion is still, you know, uh, available. So it would be, I think, a wonderful space, which I think would easily accommodate most of our administrative functions that we have currently. You know, just a general comment, process comment. I'm sitting here thinking, um, since I've been on the board, we've had a number of these capital surprises. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we should consider, not that we need more committees, but sort of a subcommittee of finance to look at capital planning. Something to think about. Uh, just, these issues, the, the lease that doesn't, of capital, 
These are very serious issues. Well, yeah, I, I agree. I don't, I don't think it would be ad hoc. I was thinking ad hoc, exactly. Um, I would call it capital, but also just land use issues. Um, it, it occurs to me that we entered into a lease uh, on Hagenberger for administrative space. It's uh, a lot of space. And we, the zone building is just like, you know, maybe a quarter of a mile walking this place. Yeah, it's yeah. Like 200 yards. <laughs> and if the county is interested in allowing us to use some, I mean, because that building is virtually empty. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering when the, the lease is up and would we get a better deal bringing in with the county if, if they're willing to, um, not just the administrative functions at Fairmont, but these other administrative functions there. And then and I just think about that wonderful class A space we have down in San Leandro. Um, Yes. Yeah, so thinking about the future as well, that, that, that's a five-year lease at Creekside as well. So once we get done with that, I mean, we're still going to need to identify some space, which we're currently looking at targeting uh, some of that space at Fairmont. But again, if, if we can repurpose that for other needs of the, of, you know, that supports you know, the county. It, it, it would be great to see a proposal that would phase our administrative functions to the county zone building, if they're interested, that we could take to the county and say, here's what, here's what our needs are this year, in two years, in five years, and so they could help, maybe we could plan that hand in hand. I, I would love that. And I see our county partners in the back whispering in each other's ears. Um, <laughs> you guys like this idea, right? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> <laughs> we have always thought that you know, we're a county uh, system, and so we would always love to be in county facilities um, because, you know, it's like, it's our house. Right? We, we'd rather do that than rent a space from an expensive landlord. I think this list warrants a further kind of in-depth studies. Yeah. And maybe if we could kind of turf this over to finance yeah. and then make a determination on a presentation to finance whether or not we should yeah. put together a task force to really take a look at everything we're currently leasing now, uh, when those expirations are going to be, what are the functions that are in there. And I think that would help us take a look at, you know, what space might be available to the county that would address our needs and the timing and, and perhaps come up with a long-range plan for land use. <coughs> Gee, so we'll, we'll do that. Yes. We'll work on that and put that together. We'll talk about it at our next planning meeting. Yes, sir. Excellent. Okay, so moving on, uh, just a kitchen relocation update. Uh, if you recall, we had approved the contract uh, for web core construction uh, to begin working on the initial assessment of the, of the uh, project and uh, to develop, ultimately develop their guaranteed maximum price for GMP. Uh, we're still on, on target to complete that by uh, March, April. Uh, we'll, at that point, we will bring it back to uh, the Board of Trustees, the Finance Committee, to uh, for, for that's the guaranteed maximum price. That's, that's the methodology that we implemented moving forward with this project as a construction manager at risk. Can I use that when I send my son to college? <laughs> <laughs> no guarantees there. Good <laughs> uh, and again, uh, as of today, uh, we continue uh, targeting a completion, project completion of June 2020 as we have presented before. Great. Uh, Seismic Compliance Committee, I just wanted to uh, share that, uh, you know, as part of the JPA, there is a requirement that a Seismic Planning Committee, Strategic Planning Committee, be established. Uh, Debbie Stebbins, who is the Executive Director, has uh, reinitiated that. We began that a few months ago, but we're reestablishing it with a focus now of looking at the long-range plan of Alameda Hospital beyond 2030. And so we're, we're looking at uh, scheduling those and beginning those competitions now. Tied to that 
the district uh, board approved and uh, authorized the executive director to engage in an agreement with Kaufman Hall uh, to do an assessment of you know, the future uh, needs of Alameda Hospital and, and what would that look like uh, to really position us to continue to care for that, uh, that community. And so we, uh, I have reached out directly to uh, the executive director, Debbie Stemmons, uh, requesting the opportunity uh, to preview uh, this 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 uh, study prior to its release, so we can have a meaningful dialogue and conversation around what that looks like, what the findings are, what the implications may or may not be, uh, to ensure that we're you know in alignment with our JPA, but also what the future of that of that JPA will look like. Um, the Governance Institute, uh, that, that is an agreement that we are members of the Governance Institute, as you are uh, aware. Uh, they are currently the ones that uh, uh, manage and support the board effect portal that we use for all of our meetings. They have uh, decided uh, that they're going to transition away from our board effect and move into this NASDAQ board portal. Uh, this is again being fully supported by the Governance Institute. Uh, they have some, you know, what what they have communicated to us to be some enhanced features and capabilities of the system, uh, where it will be more user friendly and will give you some additional capabilities that currently do not exist within uh, the board effect. Um, this is a snapshot of what uh, that looks like, what an agenda would look like, uh, where you have hyperlinks that easily allow you to navigate to the location where you need to be within the agenda. And again, there's, there's other features and capabilities as far as archiving and information that, again, I'm not sure if Rana wants to say anything in addition to that, but... Uh, uh, just that it's... it's uh, oh my God, um, just that it's a, I think a really slick system, I think you guys will really like it. The navigation is a lot easier. You can see on that page there's multiple ways to navigate. Um, hyperlinks on the agenda, hyperlinks in the table of contents, the thumbnails, the errors. Um, and it's super searchable, which Board Effect isn't right now. So I can't really find, if you ask me for a staff report on paper clips that might have been four, five, six years ago, I can't find it. There's just no way to. Whereas this, I can do it easily. And this will include migration of the entire library, existing yes. library. Good. So if you um, have an iPad Air 2, is it compatible? Yes. Okay. So we don't have to switch devices then? Correct. Okay. Excellent. So oh, I thought you were taking their devices. Yeah, I thought you were taking them away. That's a separate. Oh. That's just IT wanting you guys to have updated equipment. Uh, oh. They can track a little bit better. So a separate conversation. You want? They want to track you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this will be. Uh, so this is this is a timeline of, of what we're uh, looking at doing here uh, the, over the next several months. Uh, there will be the portal setup, data migration, as we were mentioning, as far as some of the uh, Dr. Kenyon mentioned some of the data archiving and moving over. Um, in April, uh, we'll, we'll begin the training uh, for the admin and, and user setups. And then closer to go live in May, uh, that's when the, the BOT uh, board and, and executive leadership team and others will receive the training uh, closer to go live so we, we don't get trained too early and forget. Uh, so that's, that's essentially the, the plan. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, lastly, and I'll wrap this up with uh, our Sapphire project update. Uh, as you can see, this is the timeline that we have presented before. Uh, we have already completed our direction uh, setting. We've completed our adoption phase. 
So we are halfway there. So again, project accomplishments. Uh, what I will what I will share is that uh, we have completed the adoption phase, which uh, really was no small feat. Uh, that that was a major undertaking for the organization. Uh, we've had several key accomplishments, but the one I will highlight is that overall core applications build 100% by January 11. That is, uh, that was no easy task. Uh, I will say that I, I want to give kudos to our entire applications team, our Sapphire team, our Epic partners, our uh, administrative team that was working, uh, the core team working with all the different applications to ensure that we accomplished this. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, thanks to their commitment and accountability, the staff worked through the holidays to ensure that we met that date of January 11th. A date that even Epic initially was feeling that it was maybe overly aggressive and that we may have difficulties in achieving, we made it in January 11th. So great work to the team. Excellent. <laughs> so now we begin the second half of the project and we're moving on to the testing phase, phase three. Uh, these are some of the activities that will occur uh, during this phase, uh, an overview of what we will be focusing on. This area here is where we start looking at all of our workflows and the functionalities that have been established during the uh, initial phases and the planning phases so we can start developing our training for moving forward with the implementation and going back to the project. Uh, again, major activities uh, under phase three. Uh, there's a lot of work in our revenue cycle, uh, which are ARCR, Access and Revenue Cycle Committee, is focusing on and looking at. Uh, but equally during this phase, uh, Epic has two additional updates that they will be doing for all users. And this is wonderful because we have been planning as we've been going through this process, anticipating these updates that Epic will be doing to their system. Uh, so we can, uh, you know, we've, so we've been ahead of the curve per se as we've been planning ahead, leveraging those capabilities that will be part of these two additional upgrades that they'll be completing this, this, this next quarter. Uh, focusing, uh, moving on into January, February, uh, the highlight here and what I will say is that uh, this is where we began the activation of our credential trainer, specialist trainer, and super user recruitment. Now we start bringing in those individuals that will be trained, certified, and credentialed to then help us train the entire staff. So all 5,000 users that will be uh, moving forward with the system. So. This is a critical, critical stage for us to make sure that we have those individuals. It will be a significant commitment, uh, time and, and uh, effort, uh, where some of these users will have to go through uh, training for weeks, uh, six to eight weeks. So again, a tremendous amount of work that needs to happen, uh, but critical to our success uh, and, and our uh, seamless implementation. This is the scorecard uh, that I believe you guys received a copy of this, but I provided you here with a snapshot of the scorecard that we received from Epic. This is Epic's grade of our performance. They let us, uh, they, they tell us here where we're at, uh, what an overview of the current activities, any pending issues, or as you can see here, there are no issues needing executive intervention at this time. Uh, and we are at a four out of five. Epic doesn't give any fives. They say that fives are not something that they give to anyone. 
but that the fact that we are at four speaks to the caliber and the commitment and the focus that we have from our team on this entire project. Uh, they even had mentioned to us that uh, as we were approaching that January 11th date, they were, you know, they were maybe concerned that we may get down to a three, maybe even a two, where you're looking at, you know, watch metrics, and we're still at a four by December. So again, great, great work from the team. And lastly, uh, just how we're doing financially, managing the project. Uh, we have a, a great team under the leadership of our CIO, Mark Amy. We are well ahead uh, of what we have planned, our plan spend. We were looking at 41 million uh, year to date. We're at uh, uh, about 16 million, so we're 24 million favorable at this point. Now again, keep in mind that there are still some invoices and, and things that need to be processed that have lagged uh, behind, uh, some payroll expenses that have lagged behind. But for the most part, it's just an indication to let you know that we have been very fiscally responsible managing this budget closely, and that we're continuing to perform well ahead of our targeted budget. And with that, I'll open it to any questions and answer. I have two questions. First, uh, we heard public comments, uh, a reminder that some of our staff are still using pen and paper to, to do record keeping. I think it may have been an exaggeration, but uh, anyway, there is some, that's true, okay, I, I guess I didn't want to admit that it was true. Um, so, is that part of the um, training process, is there an assumption that we have uh, people at different places, uh, you know, it sounds like if you're at that level of operations, you probably need just basic technology training. You know? So, I, I, I will an assessment of computer literacy throughout the system to just uh, prepare ourselves for that the full training. So, uh, in case we might find that employees, physicians even with computer literacy, we're going to do an assessment and offer that. Thank you. The second question was related to potential cost savings. And wondering, just a reminder, I want a reminder on how much of any savings we could claw back to address other capital needs, whatnot. That's not for example. <laughs> well, and again, it may be a very uh, detailed, uh, you might have to give a detailed answer in committee or something, but generally, can we claw back savings? Well, I, I would, what I would say is, I, I mean, again, I, the way I would answer that is that uh, we will continue to manage the project as tightly and as closely as, as possible to, to, to try and, and uh, capture and realize as much savings as possible. I would say that we're, you know, right now, still too early in the project to make any type of commitment to say that we're going to claw back some uh, certain dollars, uh, recognizing that as we start going through phases three and four uh, of this project, uh, the, you know, the, the, the testing, the training, and, and then ultimately implementation, uh, it, you know, there may be other things that may come up that we may need to address. And so, again, I would say that at this point, it's still too early to take anything back. Yeah, I'm not making that presumption. I'm, I'm simply. You know, hypothetically, if there was the ability to uh, realize some savings at the end of the period, uh, you know, it, maybe this is I, something you can't answer at this point. No, I, 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 I can assure you that we will do everything possible to successfully implement the project and bring back some dollars into our operations. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is the restrictions on, on any savings. Do we have to give money back to other folks, or can we bring them? bring those savings back into the system. 
what I understood was that it's not like you have that money. It's it's uh, so you're not. There's nothing left. It's like you're just spending less. So but there's nothing to claw back. Is that, is that, am I understanding that right? So, so I think the question really goes to the fact that there were some sources of funding in the question of whether or not there would be any restrictions on using that funding for other purposes. Is, is that what you're saying? And so you would be talking specifically about perhaps the grant from Kaiser, whatever might be granted from uh, um, the foundation in terms of their fundraising support, and then the uh, money from the capital reserve fund that might be used. Um, and, so, and so again, it, you know, I think you know, as Louise says, it's really a question of evaluating what we're using, how we're using that money, um, in terms and you know the question. Uh, I really do think it is sort of premature to understand that, you know, because you know, those are sort of project commitments, and so... I think I realize that yeah. once I started asking the question. <laughs> but I, I, I'll just say this. I think it's a question we should start asking ourselves right. as we move well into the second half of the year. Absolutely. I have a... Yeah. No, you go. It was just a suggestion with regard to um, the video. I, I was just going to suggest to Joe and Vanessa are both here that you all uh, consider sending it to the board of supervisors. Or even Vanessa, maybe it would be a good way to show that uh, help, uh, help the community. Mm -hmm. you know, the highlight is from Sorry, I didn't have the first time. Can you get closer to the mic? <laughs> Sorry. No, I was just. Um, the video was quite good, and um, I think hopefully um, Supervisor Chan and other members of the board of supervisors would be interested in seeing what happened in 2018, the good thing. I think that's great. Um, I think we can ask the director to incorporate it in the first quarterly update, which I think has already been scheduled for March, so I think all four schedules. Thanks. And I, I just want to thank um, Louise, as you mentioned, as Louise mentioned, he's been working um, he's working with Debbie Stallings with the um, executive director of the Alameda Healthcare District Board and um, with other board members and coming to our meetings regularly. And I think they have a, a very good relationship that's been going well I hear uh, a lot of positive feedback from the, my colleagues on the board about, you know, the attention and the interest and the support from Alameda Health. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. That's, that's really good to hear. Um, all right, I have a question, some back of the napkin math. Uh, this is related to provider training. So uh, uh, the, the Sapphire team has come to me as a division chief and kind of talked me through some training. So what I've been told is two hours of, e -clinical, mo of mo clinical modules, a four-hour session in a group, and then a two-hour personalization session. So let's do a little bit of math there, about eight hours per provider. Roughly a thousand providers, just to keep it easy. There's about eight thousand hours. I've also been told that we're going to train a roughly 45 or so super users at around 44 hours to train them up. That's around 2,200 hours. So the back of the napkin stuff is we're talking about 10,200 hours or so of provider time. Question: How has this been accounted for in as in, in our project management as we go forward? So uh, it is, uh, you know, we have budgeted for the extra hours, uh, and uh, in terms of the training, uh, 
we are going to come up with a very clear plan for the training in terms of the providers. But this is, uh, you know, an important question during the two months before we go live. Uh, we have to do as physician leadership uh, sort of uh, assess our priority in terms of administrative time and teaching time. And we have to put really uh, a halt on some of the non-essential things that we can do less of and then transition this time into more, into support for the front line and into in terms of training. So we are uh, looking into this with the EHR Oversight Committee, and we will have a very clear plan about this. Yeah, just looking for a plan. Okay. Any other questions? No? All right, let's move on. I think we have uh, committee reports, right? And I forget, did we decide they're going to be oral or written? Uh, we have one written one in there. Both, okay. So, right. So, finance uh, committee, to start with. Um, some of the highlights of our discussion through uh, November, our EBITDA ended at 3.9 or 0.02 under budget. Revenue shortfall uh, to budget continues to happen due to overprojection of net patient service revenue that was assumed incorporated in FY19 budget. So staff is monitoring this very carefully. Um, but you'll, in looking at your package, you'll see that revenue is, uh, continues to be down for uh, net patient services. The balance set shortfall staff has been very uh, carefully uh, monitoring and implementing cost-saving measures. Uh, one example of that is year-to-date FTEs were 3.9 less than the budgeted FTE. Uh, also, council uh, also at the meeting, general council presented to the committee with an update on the local vendor engagement program. Uh, in short, I think uh, it was a very helpful presentation and uh, indicated that it's a work in progress, uh, that staff is refining um, its tools to determine um, how to maximize our goals towards uh, support local vendors. Uh, we also, within that report, there was a report um, from staff on the use of Google Analytics um, to uh, develop a uh, fascinating understanding of local vendor impact. Um, so I, I think the committee members asked staff to uh, dashboard some of that information and provide the full board, so I think we'll see some of that in the coming year. Concerns and issues that uh, were presented the committee um, or, or arose uh, include monitoring the need to continue monitoring that patient service trends as well as the cost saving efforts make sure there's a balance in the revenue to expenses um, the staff is tracking uh, potential economic and regulatory factors that may negatively impact future supplemental income um, this is a particular concern of mine, uh, looking at uh, supplemental income like Measure A, which is very susceptible to economic downturns and recession. Um, also, there's a, um, I, I think it's really important for the trustees to uh, make an effort to look at the 
forecasts that staff do uh, present to the committee and to the full board. Uh, there are two forecasts. One's a 12-month forecast and one's a rolling 12-month forecast. Um, the end of the year, the, the first forecast actually looks uh, positive in terms of our end the year almost at EBITDA. But the rolling forecast through October of next year, that's the, um, the 12 month from the period uh, ending in October, shows an EBITDA amount that's 3.1% or 1.5% off of our EBITDA goal. So we have to uh, continue to monitor that very carefully. Um, yeah, and it's uh, an EBITDA point is about ten million uh, dollars, so uh, it's about fifteen million off, and we have a roof to repair now too. <laughs> so I, I think just point that out that that's something that's an indicator. But those reports are very helpful, um, and it's a quick indicator uh, to the board of how we're trending financially. Uh, staff is working on, amongst the many things they're doing, uh, in finance on a review of San Leandro Hospital finances. And if you remember, this was done for the Alameda Hospital uh, as a pullout to look at uh, revenue and expenses. Um, uh, so that, that's coming in the future. Our CEO uh, announced at committee that uh, the search for a permanent CFO um, is well underway and that uh, expected to start interviewing a primary candidate shortly. I asked if Nancy was one of those candidates, and apparently she was. <laughs> she smiles. You can change your mind. That's what we said. That's what we report. Thank you. Any questions? No? All right. Uh, Tracy. Hi. I have a brief report, no written report tonight on our agenda here. Uh, so our committee will see the approval of the illness and injury plan, which was injury and illness plan, which was um, discussed and approved in the HR committee. And there was a robust discussion of a non-action item, which was to learn more, the community learn more about the intro medicine and emergency medicine residencies programs at um, Alameda Health System, at Highland Hospital. It was, it was fascinating. We had a lot of questions. The physician leaders were very enthusiastic and dedicated, and I, I um, had asked for that to be discussed because we often see our residents and we often hear um, we get invited to Scott's to see the diversity and we have that match day, but this was really a chance to to learn about the history, which is a long history of, the, of, of serving, uh, hosting residents and, and serving residents about the success of the residents being placed in uh, all throughout the world and coming coming from throughout the world and being placed in, in, throughout the world in, in fellowships and other acute and primary care facilities and sites. And it was, I, I, I found it very fascinating and uh, another reason to celebrate on the health system. Thank you. Trustee Do we need to approve the injury and prevention plan? It's all I can say. Oh, it is. Thank you. At the November 29th QPSC, uh, we conduct, uh, conducted our uh, typical business. We approved policies and procedures and the minutes from the October meeting. 
We then moved into the QPSC chair item, which I've taken as a venue to use for article discussion. The article which we introduced at that time was entitled Understanding Why Patients of Low Socioeconomic Status Prefer Hospitals Over Ambulatory Care. Really interesting article. Three conclusions from this article. First, patients believe that they can get quicker, better care in the hospital. Second, patients do not face a homogenous set of challenges, so thinking that all our patients have psychosocial challenges is per perhaps errant thinking. Not all patients are overcome by their psychosocial challenges. Their circumstances guide their behavior. The third conclusion was it's not necessarily irrational behavior to use the hospital rather than clinics for care, given this construct. We had a really robust dialogue around it. It was a great, it was a great discussion. We then moved in the medical staff reports. This was the last medical staff reports to the prior cadre of chiefs of staff, and I asked them, if you will, to give a farewell address. And um, I'll just highlight a few. Dr. Magalong, our, our, our chief of staff of Alameda Hospital, uh, encouraged the administration to engage the medical staff in strategic decision-making around clinical services. And he gave thanks for the opportunity to serve and lead. It was a, a very nice talk. Dr. Hearn uh, uh, ended with three comments. First, he showed uh, appreciation for the administrative partners willing to work with him collaboratively. Second, he encouraged the board to keep asking questions and to listen. Third, he advised all medical staff leaders to be honest and, and forthright in their dialogues with the board because, quote, the board wanted to hear it. Uh, he, he then introduced the incoming chief. Dr. Chu, um, in his closing statements, uh, he said, advised that the board needs to, quote, seek accurate data from the clinicians themselves. He advised the board of trustees to ask questions, give adequate time for decisions, and to provide good options. And then he commended the board on their mission and principles. We went, then went into the SBU quality metric report. It was a very nice report uh, given by uh, Lori Foyle, our VP patient care services at San Leandro Hospital, and Teresa Cooper, who is our VP patient care services here in Highland, of course, supported by Luis, and we, we had a broad-ranging discussion, largely around throughput issues, which is a, a common theme, but um, I, I think uh, for all of those who felt in the room, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for Luis and the, the way he's building his team. Uh, he looks like he has. Uh, uh, two very, very capable uh, uh, VPs. We didn't get to meet Ronica Shelton on that day because she was at Alameda doing a survey. Uh, and Ronica Shelton is the uh, uh, VP at Alameda Hospital. Successful. Mm -hmm. Successful. Uh, uh, successful. We talked about clinical order sets around Sapphire. Uh, th this is a potentially a potential log jam for us. And Dr. J asked us to put this forth. Um, these clinical order sets are effectively policies. And, and the concern is that if, if, there's, if there's too much holdup on this, this is a key element to advance SAFIRE. You've got to have the clinical order sets in there. So uh, Dr. J asked us to bring forward this issue. There might be circumstances in the future where the board might need to adjudicate a decision if the medical staffs are at an impasse to, to advancing this. It's critical pathway stuff. So uh, we, we just laid that out there. We discussed patient safety and regulatory affairs. Um, uh, definitely some concerning uh, uh, issues related to quality in calendar 2018. The upside is the quality team is doing very, very good work, but a lot of Sentinel events, a lot of, quote, never events, if, 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 if for those of you who are in attendance at the QPSC, and we can, we can talk about that later in dialogue. Um, uh, I think uh, Dr. J's team with Tanvir Hussain, Hussain and, and uh, Darshan, they're, they're, doing, they're doing 
uh, a very, very good job in a very, very chaotic environment. Uh, they're trying to put some order out of chaos. More to come on that. Uh, then we discuss the True North metric dashboard. We, we keep a, a standing True North metric dashboard for every QPSC for us to review the 13 elements uh, of the True North dashboard which relate to quality. And that was the meeting. Thank you. Any questions? Nope. All right. <clears throat> and I think that gets us to our consent, consent calendar. Uh, I will entertain a motion. Motion to approve. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All right. Excellent. Wow. Not hard. Uh, so now we have the uh, San Leandro. No, that's all for yeah, the right? yeah, Thank you. Uh, Mike, I think it's you. On the approval of the minute changes for the. Uh, is that what we're talking about? Oh, uh, oh no, we, we adopted the minutes. Was, was there a, no, the, uh, the changes in the medical staff bylaws? I'm sorry. Is that it? Oh, yeah, that, was, that was part of the consent calendar. So we approved it? Yeah. Sorry, we do that really fast. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. I, I was a little lost, too. Uh, I'm supposed to be running the meeting. Uh, so I think we're on to uh, our report on the status of acute rehabilitation license transition. Yeah, there was a uh, report in the packet. Um, I'll go through all the details on it. I just want to hit a couple of high points. Um, you know, as this letter to come up in November, quite a few moving parts uh, with respect to it, and uh, a timeline which I think is acknowledged as being kind of tight in uh, certain uh, places with a couple of uh, critical paths. So the intent was to, you know, update the board on a fairly regular basis as to where we're going and how we're getting there. You know, if you recall from uh, the presentation in November, you know, the items highlighted in bold were sort of the, the critical pieces, you know, to uh, facilitating the uh, the movement of the acute rehab, you know, to the San Leandro Hospital, you know, campus, you know, the licensing with uh, CDPH, the medical staff change, uh, and then, of course, the OSHPOT approval, the latter two of which were sort of subsets of, you know, the licensing process. Also, indicated, you know, a couple of issues, you know, which as we've gone through this process, you know, will sort of play in, uh, and I'll explain, you know, what we're doing to address those things as we go along. Uh, so here, this was the timeline that was presented uh, to you, you know, back in November. Uh, the items that should be underway are underway, and uh, thus far, uh, they're in a way in a positive manner, and so those are the items which were reflected in green there. The items in blue are yet to happen. Uh, Dr. Ingenio provided a report, uh, QPSC regarding well, sort of summarizing, you know, the status of the discussions, you know, between the medical staffs uh, with regard uh, at San Leandro Hospital in the core, uh, and uh, an update on the steps that would be taken uh, to handle that piece. Uh, and, you know, it, you know, the indication is that that process is moving smoothly, um, and uh, we're hopeful that it will continue on in that fashion, that we will be able to uh, to meet the timelines which are set there. The one item which is uh, highlighted in yellow there, um, it basically doesn't represent, you know, any problem, you know, with when the license will be issued, but it just sort of reflects the fact that we have identified, you know, potentially, you know, some change that we may make to that date based upon this issue, uh, the change in the provider number and the impact on the Sapphire build. So uh, San Leandro Hospital has provider number, the core has a provider number. Once the licenses are merged, the San Leandro Hospital license provider number will go away. And that will occur, <coughs> excuse me, 
And with the go live scheduled for September 28th, the question is, you know, how do we sort of coordinate those two items? One would be to move this process to occur at September 28th, which is, for all intents and purposes, unrealistic, you know, uh, just giving the pieces which are necessary to get to the license application. The other is you know, the consideration of moving that November 1st date back uh, so that it doesn't present quite the conflict with the go live of Epic, you know, basically don't want to go live and then have to make another change so quickly. So we'll, we'll continue to look at that. Um, we have some time before we have to make a final decision about it, but it has been identified. Don't see it as um, an obstacle, you know, to meeting the timeline for this piece of the process. It's just a question of figuring out what would be the least painful option in terms of uh, going forward, but it's not an obstacle itself. So I should have an update for that next time around uh, in terms of where we land on that particular piece uh, and as well as further updates on the discussions between the medical staff. So, so any questions? I'll, I'll make note uh, as a, for those of the board members who weren't in QPSC, we, we dire I, I directly asked Dr. Ingenio if he felt that the 1 August uh, uh, merger date was uh, appropriate from his perspective, and I'll let him answer again so the board can hear it. I believe it is. I think um, we can um, nail down all the players to decide what the critical issues are. All right. <clears throat> well, that leads us to our uh, info reports, which are written, so we don't need to hear from those. So I think we can adjourn the closed session. Unless yeah. I'm missing something. Mike? So uh, in closed session, there are three items in particular, a uh, public performance, uh, public employee performance evaluation involving uh, the chief executive officer. There will also be a report on four items uh, of litigation under government code section 54957.9 and then a conference with labor negotiator under 54957 subsection B. All right, thank you everyone. Let's uh, head on back. We'll be at 3702. And for those who aren't going in back with us, have a wonderful evening. Uh, the board adjourned at 9.53 and took no action in closed session.